You're listening to the really useful podcast. This right here is the tech podcast for technophobes. Welcome to the show. My name is Christian Corley, and this week I'm joined by Gavin Phillips. How are you doing, Gavin? I'm doing fantastic, Christian. Yeah, I've uh, I've just had my family down here for a week, actually. Oh. Uh, and my sister got engaged, so uh, we've had wow. a really exciting weekend. Excellent. That's great news. Did, was, was it was the holiday specifically, was, was the, their break to come down to there specifically for that purpose? Well, the break was actually for my other sister's 30th oh. birthday. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the, the the sister whose birthday it was had planned it with my other sister's partner that he would propose whilst they were down here. So oh, uh, lovely. it's all very cute and lovely. Isn't that nice? That's great. Uh, I, um, I, I, you know, I was uh, treading the, uh, the muddy fields of a country show at the weekend. Uh, here in uh, the northeast of England, there's a show in North Yorkshire called the Stokesley Show. I think it's the last show in the calendar. We have country shows throughout the year, as other parts of the country do as well, of course. And uh, yeah, so we we went out for this for the Stokesley Show, and it rained a lot. Oh no! Yeah, so we missed a lot. That they have, you know, they have cow shows. I know. <laughs> and then they, then they have like they they have this the horse stunt team guys. They're there, and then you've got all the tents with the sort of like the, the cottage industry farmer shop type things going on in there picked up a few bits i picked up some parma ham but it's not called parma ham because it was bred in yorkshire from yorkshire pigs so uh-huh. um, they they give it names based on the italian word for the body parts so i got some lomo which is uh loin now, when oh, i saw nice. lomo being, being a being a techie geeky sort of person who takes loads of photos on his phone lomo is of course a, a photography term as well yes so and that's what caught my eye <laughs> <laughs> so which part of the pig are they taking pictures of <laughs> yes <laughs> exactly okay so we are here for our weekly chat about the latest tech news that matches to how you are using your technology how you're using your gadgets and our, we'll then move on to a discussion about some uh, topic or tips and tricks to help you make better use out of your tech and then we'll finish with some recommendations at this point in the show neither of us have any recommendations that i'm aware of that includes me, so uh, we'll see how things go. We're going to kick off, however. Amazon Prime video content will begin to include adverts next year. Well, what's this all about? It's well, ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, there's a, is, do we have a boo-hiss button? I don't know. We should have a boo-hiss button, because this is... De- yeah, we definitely need it for something like this, <laughs> where Amazon, who already make billions upon billions of dollars per year perennial industry strugglers amazon have just yeah added. exactly precisely <laughs> really really like down in the dumps <laughs> struggling all the time oh. but they need an extra three dollars per month of your money to get them to feel good to put a few more bucks <laughs> in the pockets of investors so they can improve working conditions for more people yeah to invest in better robots <laughs> yeah uh, so, 
Yeah, the BBC is reporting that uh, Amazon is introducing adverts to Prime Video. Uh, following similar moves by rivals Disney Plus and Netflix, the ads will be introduced across France, Italy, Spain, Mexico and Australia later in 2024. But before that, UK Prime, US Prime, Germany and Canada. I feel sorry for Germany being <laughs> getting it before France. We'll see ads early next year unless they subscribe for an ad-free option at, obviously, an additional cost. This cost is $2.99 a month. It's, uh, it's, it's absurd, isn't it's it? Grim, so, isn't it? So, so in relation to this, Christian, um, I've just been doing a little bit of background research on how uh, film piracy, piracy, um, and streaming theft has increased in the last few years. And would right. you believe it? Has it more of these... Would you believe this? It's gone up 38.6% um, from 2021 to 2022, and it's set to rise again, obviously, this year, as more and more of these services increase prices and introduce adverts and basically return us to the bad old days of terrible cable content. How, how uh, could I have predicted it's wild, isn't it? I just we should be in finance or something. We've 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 got this nail. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, this is going to happen now. Uh, over the past, we've seen how um, these other services are introducing adverts, and you know, Amazon has already introduced a free channel, hasn't it? Freevee, which is ad supported. I'm going to stick my neck on that. Maybe they should wind down in adding new channels and maybe focus on producing good material, creating good feature films, good TV series, and not demanding more and more cash from people, because eventually people are just going to say, nah. Not Do you think that. that's part of it as well, though, Christian, in that because companies like uh, Amazon and Netflix do so much throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks, yeah, they inevitably pass the cost on for all this like wasted production onto the... Onto consumers like yeah. you and I and, yeah. and our listeners, of course. Yeah, it's inevitable. Yeah, it's painful, is what it, it is. Yes, <laughs> increasingly so. Increasingly so. We'll move on. Uh, now, this is interesting. It's slightly related because I watched most of Game of Thrones on uh, Now TV, the app, Now TV app, which is a sort of like portion of Sky TV that you can get streamed to your TV. And uh, it just so happens that George R. R. Martin and John Grisham are suing. Open AI overclaims their copyright was infringed to train the system. Now, this isn't the first time this topic has come up, is it? Uh, no, I believe we previously talked about uh, Sarah, Sarah Silverman, Silverman yeah, yeah. Uh, and a few other authors at the same time that were all calling for uh, ChatGPT and probably other AI companies to stop using their work in the development uh, of the chat GPT and other AI yeah. algorithms. Uh, the problem with it is, and the problem that we discussed at the time, <clears throat> excuse me, is that while these authors may believe that they have used specific copies of their books in the training data, which is highly possible considering how much data is included in these algorithms, there's also the strong chance that they've also copied in hundreds upon hundreds of millions of reviews of all of these books oh. and TV programs and so on and so forth. So it's no wonder that they can make entirely faithful um, reviews or recollections of what happens in these series, books and so on because of the scale of the internet in general. Let's just have a, just contextualise this. 
in terms of how much material we're talking about here. If you've read A Song of Ice and Fire, you'll know how long it is. And that's just a tiny, tiny fraction of the data that ChatGPT has been trained on, isn't it? Oh, it's it's minute, yes. Yeah. And with uh, any of these generative AI tools, um, they can read... If you put an entire book into it now as a front-facing service, they can read it within minutes, I guess, seconds mm-hmm. in some cases. Um, but I don't think people are doing that, um, which is the thing that these authors are saying, isn't it, is that they have stolen their copyright effectively. Um, but without knowing exactly what goes into the training of these generative AI tools or the the large language model which they are based upon, we will never know. And I imagine that arguing to get ChatGPT, uh, Google Bard and so on to reveal the intricacies of their training data, I think they're probably on a hiding to nothing. Mm, I wonder if instead they're after some money Yes, that seems more likely. Yeah. But again, if they would have to specifically prove that this is what's happened. Um, yes, yes, yes. And without it, uh, without the specific evidence, I think. Unless, of, I mean, they may well settle out of court or whatever. Mm. But uh, I'm not, I just want to say, I'm not saying they shouldn't be asking for recompense if their material's been used to train all this technology, these, these AI, LLMs, then they absolutely should be paid for it and they should have been consulted first. Well, yeah, that's the the wider argument, isn't it? That they've scraped who knows how much of the internet to provide the information for the tools that many of us now know and love and use and whatnot, but at what point does it stop? So we've also seen recently websites blocking chat GPTs like internet crawlers basically from crawling their websites to take information in the same way that Google's web crawlers index every single website so when you type into Google you know uh, whatever website you want to go to um, chat GPT uses a similar type of tool so websites are now understandably uh, blocking those especially ones that are heavy on data information and whatnot that could be useful yes Okay, and we'll finish our discussion of the latest news this week with Microsoft's Call of Duty deal, as they're calling it. This is the Microsoft Activision merger slash... Wait, it's a buyout, isn't it? They're calling it a merger. It's not a merger. No one's going to be calling it Microsoft Activision Blizzard. So it's not a merger. Microsoft has been attempting to purchase Activision Blizzard, and it's been held up at various stages around the world with uh, various uh, government uh, regulators... Uh, the UK, the EU, the United States. Uh, the UK has um, said that the revised offer to buy Activision Blizzard has opened the door to it being cleared. Under the new proposals, Microsoft will not buy the cloud gaming rights owned by Activision Blizzard. Uh, I mean, we've talked about this before, and it's all pretty murky and miserable for the gaming industry at large, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Uh, especially when you consider the new company that is getting in on this action is Ubisoft, <laughs> who hey. are picking up the pieces of the streaming cloud content for everywhere outside of Europe. So inside Europe, um, Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, so on streaming uh, and online activity will be managed by Microsoft. Everywhere else, everyone's going to get some lovely time with Ubisoft. <laughs> it's it's it never rains but it pours. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's quite interesting that this is was the sticking part of the deal, though. That it's not that 
Microsoft is going to own so many of the biggest titles in the entire world. It was that the UK wanted there to be better competition yeah. in the streaming market. Mm. To me, that seems like such a small sticking point, but it's yeah. obviously something the CMA, the British Review Board, believe is is a problem. Uh, and I think for most people in, in tech, and certainly as you and I have discussed, Christian, that that's like a, a small part of it. It's like Microsoft owning every single title under the sun. No, that's the real issue here. <laughs> yeah. it's. I mean... I'm just glad we have things like GOG and itch.io and Steam and places where independent developers can release their their games because and they get a you know they get a bigger profile than they would have done they get a bit of a storefront and they have the opportunity to generate buzz and get good reviews and things like that because when you've got a an industry that's more and more focused on you know these these big budget games you've got a weekly charts that's more and more focused on the big games because they're the ones that are bought in the supermarkets i'm minded to um, i was reading uh i think it was in pixel addict magazine which is an independent computing magazine in the uk there would there was an article that was discussing what happened with uh commodore 64 and spectrum games in the mid 90s and basically um the main supply the main uh, outlets for games in those days were High Street retailers, Boots, WH Smith, Woolworths, and they all unilaterally decided to just pull cassettes and only sell cartridges. It was nothing to do with sales. It was mainly to do with stock management. Wow. So they just binned it off. Yeah, and that more or less killed 8-bit computing in the UK. And, you know, they, they did the same with discs, so it had an impact on uh, on uh, Amiga and the Atari ST so, yeah, so, you know, they, they pulled cassettes and said cartridges only, and that was it. So the, the amount of controls a small group of companies can have over any element, any industry really, but particularly we're talking gaming here, it just depresses me because it's, like it's the same thing over and over again, just with different players. Oh, completely, yeah. So we see many games or game titles that get shoved to the back and maybe they get revised years later, but only because... Maybe there's like a rallying call from from gamers that we want this back, um, and it becomes financially prudent for these big development companies to to do it at long last. Because otherwise, it's the smaller games or more niche or uh, collectors' titles or what have you that that get shoved off the shelves, don't they? <laughs> Okay, we've reached that part of the show where we have a chat about some uh, topics. Now, this week, actually, we're going to be focused on a very specific topic, which is dark mode. Now, you may or may not know what dark mode is. It's essentially a means of uh, switching your hardware so it uses less white backgrounds and more dark backgrounds. That, that's the very basic of it. And the, the aim of this is to for, uh, make it easier on your eyes and stop the what you're reading from tiring you out and also to save energy i'm going to ask i'm going to bang my phone on the desk i'm going to ask <laughs> do you use dark mode uh i use a mixture of uh, light and dark mode actually All um right. so for example i have a reddit app on my smartphone uh, right. and i always use that in dark mode uh but uh, another example would be gmail 
Uh, I never use Gmail in dark mode because uh, the the white on black, uh, the white font, sorry, on the black background uh, sends my eyes a bit funny in that specific app. But then again, it doesn't do it in another app, so I don't know what that is. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> it is strange, isn't it? <laughs> you know, it's just different between the apps. Maybe it's the actual font they're using or the font size, perhaps. Um, but uh, yeah, so I pick and choose. How about yourself? Uh, it depends what I'm doing, really. I, um, I mean, I use Twitter in dark mode, or X in dark mode, which is uh, something you can easily do. You just uh, go into, I mean, on your browser, you can just go into the uh, settings and accessibility, and then display, and then choose between the background options, default, dim, and lights out, and that gives you the essential dark mode. Uh, it, but like I say, it does depend, like you. I use when I'm editing this podcast. I switch Audacity. I've, well, I don't switch Audacity specifically for this podcast. I have Audacity switched to dark mode, uh, the dark theme, because it's it's just easier on the eye. It actually looks nicer as well. I find a lot of the dark modes do actually look nicer. We have a dark mode on Make Use of, don't we? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I wouldn't honestly know how to enable it, but I'm fairly sure we do. I'm pretty sure uh. we do. But I don't know how to enable it, so I'm wondering if it's actually been removed. So I maybe have to remove this bit. <laughs> uh, I'll just look quickly. I've got all sorts of script blocking and stuff turned off, so it probably won't show up anyway. Uh, I can't see like a... No, I can't see anything. All right, we'll forget about that bit. Yeah, yeah. Lots of websites have dark mode as well um, as an option that you can just select from the drop-down menu at the top or, you know, the hamburger menu or whatever. But there's various ways that you can sort of implement dark mode yourself. Um, so there's various ways we can approach this. I think, um, assuming most of our listeners are using Windows, it's probably a good idea to just go through how to enable dark mode on Windows 10 and Windows 11, which is via the ease of access settings. So you go into Windows settings, which is easily done by pressing Windows plus I, click ease of access, and then go to high contrast option, and then turn on high contrast. And that is the way to do it for like across your operating system. My dad uses dark mode. Um, he has, um, he's had long-term sight problems. He also, um, which, you know, we know he needs it, but it oh, it's never fails to make us laugh. He has a massive mouse pointer. It's about an inch big on the display. Oh, wow. It's absolutely huge. <laughs> ah. It's, um, I mean, obviously it does the job for him, but um, it just makes me chuckle every time I see I sit down. He says, yeah, you know, can you uh, sort my emails or whatever? I sit down in front of his computer, grab the mouse, and I'm like, whoa, there's this huge mouse pointer. <laughs> Oh, I love Brilliant. it, I love it, yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah, so we've um, yeah, just covered uh, Microsoft uh, Windows there. There's, um, tells you, if you use Notepad in Windows, there is, um, you know, that just looks normal. It's got a white background, uh, the default courier font text. You can get a black Notepad app from the Microsoft Store, which is available free. And this comes with a black background and I think green text by default, but you can change that. And so, you know, it looks like an old-fashioned uh, terminal PC, whatever. Now, Windows 11, you can uh, also get a dark mode, a little bit easier. Go to uh, the settings app, when press, uh, Windows button, plus I, click personalization, then colors, and then in the uh, choose your mode, choose from 
uh, the menu, you've got an option of light, dark, and custom. So just choose dark. And then that will uh, initiate uh, anything that doesn't have an override, uh, any you know, system apps or whatever, to uh, pop up in dark mode. Um, Gavin, I wonder, do you know anything about setting dark mode in uh, Google Chrome on Android? On Google Chrome on Android, um, you would head to the settings, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, or is it in universal the settings or in the app? Yeah. In the so app, yeah, head, yeah. You would head to the settings menu, then you would adjust your theme, uh, which is, I think, halfway down the menu. And then you have three options. You can choose the system default option. Uh, this is on Android. Uh, and that will, if your theme, if your smartphone's theme is set to dark it will use that automatically uh or you can choose between light or or dark individually um but it's quite quite handy actually yeah the um the universal settings on android can be a bit hit and miss i've found i, I found that as well yeah. yeah yeah so it doesn't apply as universally as it should and it seems that some apps although they're meant to have a dark mode setting um, it hasn't been implemented very well. Yeah, yeah, I found that as well. Uh, just uh, sticking with dark mode for one more moment, it's also possible to uh, set an Adobe Acrobat, or an, an Adobe, P a PDF that you're reading in Adobe Reader or Adobe Acrobat Reader, I should say. Um, you can set those to be in dark mode. Now, this is quite useful if, you know, you have to go through a lot of documents. I find uh, contracts these days in PDF, and then you have to sort of... Uh, various options to sign it you know you can click a box or you type your name i'll do what i do which is a uh, an actual uh, jpeg of my signature and just pop it in i prefer that option then i know i've signed it you know when it comes back to it it's like oh anyone could have signed this you know yeah i know there's other methods that confirm that it was you but i just you know a quick visual check i've it's got my signature in it i've signed it so anyway, in Adobe Reader, you can go to the edit, click the edit button, click preferences, and go to accessibility. And you're looking for a section labeled document colors options. And you check replace document colors and opt for the use high contrast colors radio button. And you don't choose the use windows color scheme because that will um, just simply not work very well. And then you select white text on black from the uh, drop down box next to the high contrast color combination. And then you choose which one's best for you. You can choose green text on white if you want. Then you click OK to leave the preferences window. And uh, yeah, there you've got a nice dark mode in Adobe Acrobat. And you also have some uh, theme method. You also have some thematic options for changing uh, how Adobe Acrobat Reader looks. Uh, you can go to the view menu, select display theme, and choose between light grey and dark grey, which uh, sorts out the, uh, the Chrome, the window options around the uh, the app window. I just said Chrome, just, just to confuse you, but it's obviously, <laughs> the listener may not know this, it is a term that refers to all the uh, edging of a, uh, an app to, uh, a windowed app. So, yeah, so dark mode. I, um, do you know, I mean, it's not strictly dark mode, but on my uh, version of Android, I have a useful little thing called, I mean, I have dark mode, but I also have the bedtime mode, which isn't the same as dark mode, but it turns everything black and white and darker for nighttime, which is easier on the eyes if you need to check something during the night or if your phone goes off or whatever. There's also the ones uh, that turn your screen sort of, um, you know, sepia, 
orangey yellow aren't there and that's yeah. meant to be easier on the eyes before bedtime or to restrict some of the blue light that's um, right that uh, stops you from sleeping at night christian yeah, I've, got, I've got i've got one more thing to tell you as well actually oh go on then about spotify spotify so, spotify i know spotify spotify is traditionally in dark mode at all times of course it is, it's yeah. dark and sleek and stylish however if you want to do the opposite of that and you want to spice up your spotify you can use um the spicetify app and this is an app that um hooks into spotify and it enables you to run various different themes um in spotify so if you're bored of spotify being in dark mode mm. you can run uh, like a light mode uh, using this app so it's a nice change up from the standard sort of black white and uh, and green theme that it comes with oh that's interesting we will give you a link to the guide to do that and everything else we've discussed so far in this week's podcast in the show notes. Well, it's recommendations time already. And do you know what, Gavin, I am I'm gonna go first because I've just thought of something which I have been uh, I've been keeping in the chamber, shall we say. And it harks oh. back to our gaming chat earlier. Because I went to an event a couple of weeks ago and I don't wish to uh, wax on about it too much but basically i thought there was this a uh, retro gaming event taking place near me and i thought well do you know what i've never been to one of these before it just happens that it's relatively close by it was in newcastle upon tyne and so that's about you know <laughs> it's a 30 minute drive it's not a 30 minute drive it should be a 30 minute drive it's not a 30 minute drive um <laughs> Oh, no. It's an hour drive with traffic, and there's always traffic going into Newcastle. It's actually in Gateshead at Gateshead International Stadium, which you know, if anyone's uh, interested in athletics, you will have heard of because uh, it's quite a big venue uh, internationally, hence the name. And so I found this retro game, and they're you know, all over the place. There's cartridges for Nintendos, there was discs for PlayStation One, PlayStation Two, Dreamcast, etc. So, so I've never seen so many actual Dreamcasts, physical Dreamcasts in one place. I was thinking to myself, I thought there was a shortage of these things. I thought they were re they're really expensive because there's hardly any of them. There's loads of them. Anyway, and what they also found was classic cassettes of oh, old wow. video games that I didn't get first time around. Now, what's interesting about this, Gavin, I know you'll be relatively interested, more interested than the listener anyway, is that <laughs> <laughs> I got for uh, £2... Football Manager, the original version for the Electron, the BBC, oh, wow. uh, the Acon Electron, uh, with uh, Kevin Tom's head on the front cover. And this one baffled me. I didn't even know. I thought this had never been released. I thought it was a kind of, um, you know, one of those ones where they were they advertised it in the magazines, but and they reviewed it in the magazines, but they never really bothered releasing it widespread. And it's, this isn't even the original version. This is a re-release of Kickoff on the Commodore 64. Oh, right. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And then a, a less well-known game called Finders Keepers, which I thought I had. I think what it actually was is I bought it, but it didn't work uh, back in you know, 1988. And now I have a work, and now I have another copy, which may work. I haven't had the chance to test it yet. 
so yeah, that's called Finders Keepers. The, the regular listener among you will know that uh, I, I do go on about retro gaming quite a bit. It's not often I actually buy physical copies of retro games. I tend to buy, you know, re-releases, compilations. For instance, I recently, you know, last week I reviewed the, uh, no, I recommended the Tato Milestones 2 collection on the Nintendo Switch. That's the exact example. But more and more I've been uh, interested in uh, old media versions of classic games uh, but what i would say is uh, you know go along to a gaming uh, fair like that because it you know there's a lot of stuff nintendo wii u stuff there's probably a few xbox 360 and xbox one games there as well so it wasn't entirely retro but it was mostly retro but i would say if there's anything like that going on there you go over to a gaming fair you'll see loads of stuff there's loads more stuff going on there's, there's a stall selling fudge which oh, isn't yeah. exactly retro gaming, is it? There's uh, T-shirts, there's you know, there's all your uh, ornaments uh, from your favourite TV shows, all that sort of thing going on as well as retro gaming. It's a really good experience. It's really First time I've been to anywhere sort of slightly fanish since the Dot 2 convention I did a uh, thing at in 2018. Well, I mean, you know, it's been a, f- a funny few years, hasn't it? So it's not yes, entirely yes. a surprise. But uh, yeah, it was good to get out and get to one of those places. So that's my recommendation. Get out and get to one of those places. And I have to. Did 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 you buy the fudge as well? I took Erin Rose with me because she didn't have a dance lesson that day, and she tried the fudge and she was not impressed. Unfortunately. Oh, let down on the fudge. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what's your recommendation? Yeah, well, okay. So um, I got something different from my usual uh, headphones or keyboards. For are you once. sure? Do you, do, are you, do you want to do this? Yeah, I know. I mean, I could tell you about some headphones or a keyboard because I've I've always got new ones, but. <laughs> But Christian, this week I will tell you about a smartwatch I've got. Oh, um, so I was recently uh, given an Amazfit Balance smartwatch, uh, which uh, retails for two twenty nine in the US, uh, up to two fifty in Europe, um, and it is a it's like a, a fitness focused smartwatch. I think most of them are relatively fitness focused these days anyway but this one uh from amazfit um has integrated ai features oh so using the smartphone and the companion app it's called the zep app um it can give you like tips on how to prepare properly for your warm-up uh or it can send you small notifications from the ai tool um to remind you maybe to slow down a bit um, right to get back into the proper zone of uh fat burning versus you know anaerobic anaerobic um um uh, energy usage um the problem with it is is that after a while these ai tools are locked behind a paywall so the app uh itself is quite useful for what it is um but the paywall are I've forgotten how much it is, but I think it's $100 roughly a year. So on top of the $229 you would pay for the app, you need to spend another chunk of change to access these AI features properly. So although this is a Cancel Prime Video. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you've you've already paid for it already. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But aside from that, I've really enjoyed the watch itself. It's got a really nice AMOLED display, very crisp, very responsive. Uh, It only weighs... 35 odd grams um that's quite light isn't it it is really quite lightweight on the wrist you really don't notice it um 
And as someone actually, I've never really been a massive fan of smartwatches. I've got a couple of, you know, normal watches, yeah. <laughs> classic watches for want of a better phrase. And I use those quite a lot because I have a smartphone. I don't need all this extra stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. on my wrist. And this is the first one. I've tried a few smartwatches. This is the first one in a long time that I've gone, hmm, I actually quite like this. It's not um, too in your face. Uh, the notifications don't go off all the time uh, and the tracking of your steps and sleep patterns and whatnot is quite unobtrusive it doesn't constantly alert you like you need to do more or or you need to get up and walk around although yeah. that said it does have those features but they're easy to turn off right. and turn it more into yeah just something that sits on your on your wrist and looks quite nice the other thing to say about it it has really great battery life so yeah oh. I think the last time I charged this watch, I think, was, I don't know, sometime over a week and a half ago. Um, it has, like, really incredible battery life. So uh, Amaz Fit reckon it has up to 14 days. I don't think I've managed 14 days because it is in use and what have you. But, you know, it's a really long time between charges, which is super noticeable. Because the last smartwatch I had, I think I had a, a fossil something or other. Mm -hmm. uh, and it and it lasted eighteen hours, <laughs> which is just pathetic. Yeah, um, so yeah, overall, if you are looking for a new smartwatch and you are fitness inclined, uh, the Amaz Fit Balance could be worth a little look. Yeah. Excellent. So uh, everything that we've discussed in this week's show, you will find in the show notes. You've been listening to the really useful podcast. This is the tech podcast for technophobes from MakeUseOf.com. We'll be along with another show next week. Until then, take it easy.